Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Greetings, everyone. I'm Vicki Basilica, Director of the Clinical Specialists and Scientists here at ASHP, and thanks for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature from the exceptional programming from the 2021 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting that focuses on the best practices and actionable steps that you can use in your practice to make meaningful changes towards a more equitable, diverse, and inclusive team and organization. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, best practices, and leadership advice at the world's largest gathering of pharmacists. Let's begin with some definitions to make sure that we're all on the same page as we progress through our discussion. How would you define health? How would you define it in your own words? Take just a moment to jot down your thoughts. The World Health Organization defines health as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. This definition encompasses the idea of resiliency, that is, the extent to which an individual or group is able to realize aspirations and satisfy needs, and to change or to cope with the environment. It views health as a resource for everyday life, not the object of living. It is a positive concept that emphasizes social and personal resources as well as physical uh, capacities. So how did your definition compare with that of the World Health Organization? Another important term for us to define is health equity. What do you think this term means? How would you define it in your own words? Equity means fairness or justice. Health equity means that everyone has a fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as possible. This concept is founded in the ethical and human rights principles that motivate us to eliminate health disparities, which are differences in health or its key determinants, such as education, safe housing, freedom from discrimination, and so forth, determinants that adversely affect marginalized or excluded groups. According to the CDC, health equity is achieved when every person has the opportunity to attain his or her full health potential, and no one is disadvantaged from achieving this potential because of social position or other socially determined circumstances. Achieving health equity requires removing obstacles to health, such as poverty, discrimination, and their consequences, including powerlessness and a lack of access to goods uh, and to good jobs with fair pay, quality education, housing, safe environments, and health care. I've highlighted particularly important words in this statement, powerlessness and the lack of access to good health care, terms that are relevant to our work as health care providers. A third important term to consider is health inequity. Health inequities are defined as disparities in health and social determinants that favor social groups that were already more advantaged. Disparities in health can impact length of life, quality of life, rates of disease, 
and so forth as listed on this slide. Now you'll hear the term disparity and health inequity um, used almost uh, synonymously at times. They are often used interchangeably, but they are uh, different. They, uh, there are some slight differences between the two. Disparity implies a difference of some kind, whereas inequity implies unfairness or injustice. Those working in the field measure health disparities in order to identify and understand the inequities in health. And so we'll use the term healthcare disparities since these are the differences that are actually measured in research to reflect inequities. So do health disparities actually exist? Particularly, do racial health disparities exist? If the answer to that question is yes, then we must also ask, why do they exist and what can we do about them? An overwhelming body of literature documents significant racial and ethnic disparities in both health and health care. Most recently, the coronavirus pandemic, which is disproportionately impacting communities of color, has highlighted the long-standing inequities in health care and the resulting excess morbidity and mortality suffered by people of color. This slide shows recent coronavirus data with which most of you are probably familiar uh, that was compiled by the CDC. It demonstrates that the risks of COVID-19 illness, hospitalization, and death differ significantly by race and ethnicity, with people of color suffering disproportionately. I won't read each statistic on the slide, but please recognize that Indigenous Americans, Hispanic and Latinx Americans, and Black Americans have higher case rates. They are 2.8 to 3.4 times more likely than non-Hispanic white people to be hospitalized with COVID, and 2 to 2.4 times more likely to die from COVID-19 infection. And so disparities do exist. Equitable vaccine distribution would help to eliminate vaccination disparities while mitigating the disproportionate effect of COVID-19 in underserved populations or minority populations, which are disadvantaged because of limited access to health care, low socioeconomic status, or race. However, the Center for Disease Control found racial inequity in the distribution of COVID-19 vaccine across the United States in the first few months that the vaccine was available. Quoting from their report, in the first two and a half months of the U.S. vaccination program, high social vulnerability counties, or those more prone or likely to suffer disproportionately, um, had lower COVID-19 vaccination coverage than did low social vulnerability counties. Although vaccination coverage estimates by county-level social vulnerability varied widely among states, disparities in vaccination coverage were observed in the majority of states. And these disparities were largely driven by socioeconomic disparities. So why might the distribution of COVID-19 vaccine have been inequitable? A recent study that analyzed the publicly available COVID-19 vaccine distribution plans for all 50 states and the District of Columbia provides information that may help us understand why. The research found that most plans were created without the advisement of representatives from communities of color that are being disproportionately affected and bearing a disproportionate burden of severe COVID-19 disease and mortality. 
only 16% of all reported vaccination plans included minority group representatives in the development process, and most failed to engage appropriate groups or individuals, such as health equity committees or ethicists, who could help form equitable rollout plans. So perhaps then it is not surprising that the rollout plans were not equitable. Health disparities, including poorer health outcomes and pharmacokinetic or pharmacotherapeutic rather outcomes, exist for Black Americans in other chronic diseases, such as those listed here on the slide. Black Americans also experience higher rates of infant and maternal mortality and diminished overall life expectancy. Studies continue to find that disparities exist between racial groups in the use of evidence-based treatments, and even when insurance status, income, age, and severity of condition are controlled for, people of color tend to receive lower quality health care compared to white Americans. The major underlying reason for these disparities that continue to be documented in health and in health outcomes is structural racism. Structural racism refers to the normalization and legitimization of an array of dynamics, historical, cultural, institutional, and interpersonal, that routinely advantage white people while producing cumulative and chronic adverse outcomes for people of color. It is a system in which laws, rules, public policies, institutional practices, cultural representations, and other norms that work in various and often reinforcing ways to perpetuate racial inequity and supporting continued unfair advantage to white Americans and unfair or harmful treatment of others simply based on race. Structural racism leads to differential access to goods, services, opportunities that are available in society, and they do this by race. It determines social, uh, rather societal values. It determines power hierarchies, and it underlines the persistent health disparities in the United States. The terms systemic racism and structural racism are synonymous, and they are used interchangeably. So how does structural racism contribute to the disproportionate disease burden and the poorer health outcomes of minority uh, populations? Primarily by negatively impacting social determinants of health. Social determinants of health, as defined by the World Health Organization, are non-medical factors that influence health outcomes. They are the conditions in which people are born, grow, work, live, and age, and the wider set of forces and systems shaping the conditions of daily life. These forces and systems include economic policies and systems, development agendas, social norms, social policies, and political systems. And this slide shows the five domains uh, that comprise the social determinants of health. The social determinants of health have important influence on health disparities. Uh, social determinants of health can influence health equity in positive and negative ways by affecting income, employment, job security or insecurity, social protections, education, living and working conditions, food insecurity and housing, and very importantly, access to affordable quality health care.
This slide depicts how the structural issues defining racism in our country have been a part of its fabric since the early 17th century, its beginnings being rooted in chattel slavery and subsequently maintained by Jim Crow laws, segregation and redlining, which all served to concentrate poverty and negatively impacted social determinants of health in historically marginalized communities. This is what led to housing insecurity, food insecurity, educational disadvantage, environmental hazards, and the lack of access to health care and providers. Structural racism, through its negative impact on the social determinants of health, contributes uh, to the persistently higher risks of disease and the poorer health outcomes in communities of color. It continues to manifest in current systems and laws that are related to housing, education, criminal justice, and economic opportunities. These systems and laws have a negative impact on people of color simply based on their race. Structural racism inequitably limits opportunities for social, economic, and financial advancement, which in turn results in a complex interplay of race, social determinants, and health that has a negative uh, set of consequences for people of color. So how does structural racism show up in healthcare? Structural racism also shows up in implicit or unconscious bias in clinical decision-making and also in the education and training of healthcare professionals. Evidence shows that most healthcare providers appear to have some implicit bias in terms of positive attitudes towards whites and negative attitudes towards people of color. The 2001 report of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine called Unequal Treatment Confronting Racial and Ethnic Disparities in Healthcare identified structural racism and discrimination as the two primary causes for disparities in healthcare. And the report found evidence of structural racism that negatively impacted the care and the health outcomes of racialized minorities in every location of healthcare delivery from the outpatient setting to the inpatient setting to the post-acute rehab setting in every medical specialty from pediatrics to geriatrics and in every geographic region of the United States. And so structural racism is pervasive in healthcare. I'd like to now focus on some pharmacy-specific DEI concerns as the issue of health disparities is relevant within our discipline as well. Since prescription drug therapies are fundamental to basic health care, health disparities that involve medications um, are not uncommon. Racial disparities have been documented in the use of essential evidence-based drug therapies, uh, including antidepressants, anticoagulants, diabetes medications, and on it goes. These disparities in medication use have been associated with the failure to achieve therapeutic goals, increased rates of hospitalization, and decreased survival. This slide shows um, the results of a study conducted by Hall Lipsy and Chisholm Burns that examined racial or ethnic disparities in medication management literature. They reviewed over 300 papers that have been published and found significant disparities in the drug treatment across a number of clinical conditions that are listed in the first column. And these disparities uh, were stratified by race, ethnicity, and by gender. 
and they found these disparities in 77% of the published papers that they reviewed. The most frequent disparity found in 73% of the papers was in the receipt of prescription drugs. However, they also found disparities in the dosing and administration of medications and wait times to the receipt of a drug as well. Some examples um, that I would share with you from their paper include the finding that Black Americans and Native Alaskans were significantly less likely to receive and to fill prescriptions for long-term asthma controllers. They were more likely to visit the emergency department for asthma-related complaints and were more likely to be hospitalized for asthma complaints. Another important observation was that being Black was associated with a delay in the initiation of chemotherapy for patients with ovarian cancer. And this delay in treatment was associated with a 13% increase in overall mortality compared with that for white patients. And so other outcomes that we can see with pharmacotherapeutic disparities include rates of hospitalization, decreased rates of therapeutic goal attainment, such as blood pressure or um, A1C goals, and decreased rates of survival. Why might these disparities in medication use exist? Well, certainly cost remains a formidable barrier. On average, Black and Hispanic Americans are less than white Americans and are more likely to be uninsured. So cost continues to be a barrier to medication use. But it's not just about costs. Even when cost sharing is minimal or uh, zero, medication adherence rates differ, and they're lower among Black Americans compared to white Americans. Disparities also exist in the access to pharmacies. Areas with high percentages of minority residents have lower pharmacy density than areas with high percentages of white residents. And further, some medications and some pharmacy services, such as opioids and vaccination uh, programs, retail clinics, and so forth, are often less accessible in predominantly minority communities than elsewhere. I want to shift now to talk about what we might do about these disparities to improve outcomes for patients of color. And in doing so, I'd like to introduce the concept of anti-racism. This concept is not new. It has actually been around for several decades, but it's experiencing renewed interest, particularly in health healthcare circles, because of the heightened awareness of health disparities. Anti-racism is defined as the policy or the practice of opposing racism and promoting racial tolerance. It embodies practices and policies that are focused on dismantling structural racism, and that's a real important key to grasp. Anti-racism as a concept is not focused on individuals or individuals' behavior, so it does not address individual racism, nor does it judge individuals for their behavior. It addresses structural racism and corrects its negative impacts on society. In today's environment, it has been said that being well-meaning and not racist is not enough. It is time for us all to be anti-racist. Now, to be anti-racist, in the words of one of the foremost authorities on the subject, Dr. Ibram X. Kendi, means to express an anti-racist idea or to support an anti-racist policy with your actions. 
He says to be anti-racist is to think nothing is behaviorally right or wrong, inferior or superior with any of the racial groups. Whenever the anti-racist sees individuals behaving positively or negatively, the anti-racist sees exactly that. Individuals behaving positively or negatively, not representatives of whole races. It's time for us to be anti-racists and to develop and implement an anti-racist agenda that dismantles structural racism in healthcare. No matter the color of our skin, we can be active and involved in eliminating race-based health disparities. So how can we become anti-racist? What is it that we need to do? The first step is to educate ourselves. Dr. Kendi says the very heartbeat of racism is denial. We cannot acknowledge or change that which we deny or choose to not see. Thus, the first step towards dismantling racism is breaking through that denial by educating ourselves about the history of African-Americans and the Black experience. And there are plenty of materials available to help us accomplish this and educate ourselves. Other steps include setting our intention. And this means making a conscious decision to pursue anti-racism as a goal and as a way of being. Ivy Colson and Turner, in their 10 Keys to Everyday Anti-Racism, write that anti-racism is a way of life. Like starting any new habit, anti-racism requires a conscious decision to pursue it as a goal and way of being. Intention brings mindful presence and awareness to what we say and what we do. Setting the intention to have an open heart and open mind in order to be anti-racist affects how we show up in our workplaces, to our co-workers, and importantly, to our patients. Present moment awareness links with our intention to pull us out of the autopilot and into conscious pursuit of our goal. We must also see each person's individuality. And this touches on our implicit biases that can lead us to make potentially damaging assumptions about other people, especially our patients. We must see each patient's individuality. All patients may struggle with social issues and challenges and require support in various areas at different stages in their lives. And we can best help them by seeing them as individuals and responding to their needs. And we must also cultivate empathy for others, especially for our patients. Asking about social issues in a caring, empathetic way is important. The evidence indicates that compassion and empathy make patients more forthcoming about their symptoms and concerns, yielding more accurate diagnoses and better care. Therapeutic interventions that directly affect patient recovery. It improves outcomes. And now I'd like to talk for a few minutes about some practical next steps and what we can do to impact the problem of health disparities and effect some change. A good place to start is to review the recommendations of ASHP Task Force on Racial Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. The task force provided recommendations for health systems, individual practitioners, and for colleges and schools of pharmacy that can be applied to eliminate disparities in pharmacy practice and in pharmacy education and training. 
The pharmacist patient care process, with which we are all familiar, helps pharmacists to identify and address healthcare needs of our patients. And this care process is not limited to just clinical services, but also includes consideration of patient lifestyle, preferences, and social economic, socioeconomic factors. So it can be used to help us assess social determinants of health, such as risk factors for disease, cultural background, health literacy, and so forth, um, in order for us to develop a good patient-centered care plan. Pharmacists should consistently apply this process, regardless of their practice setting or their specialty, using it to implement patient-level interventions that reduce disparities and improve outcomes. And these include things such as exploring the patient's social history, because this can provide information that we need to develop a holistic approach uh, to our treatment plans that help to reduce or eliminate disparities and improve the care that we provide. It also includes advocating for individual patients, for the use of evidence-based treatments, for example, or for appropriate clinical, uh, appropriate use of clinical algorithms, or for access to benefits and other programs to which they are entitled. We can engage patient navigators in the process or connect our patients with community resources that can assist with social support and to improve healthcare quality and health outcomes. For example, how can pharmacists facilitate connecting um, our patients with community health advisors who can provide resources for obtaining groceries and meals for free or at a discounted price? Mahatma Gandhi once famously said, be the change that you wish to see in the world. Be the change that you want to see happen. If we want to dismantle structural racism, correct its impact on health, and improve outcomes for our patients of color, and make sure that pharmacy is more diverse, inclusive, and equitable as a profession, we each need to be the change that we wish to see. Pharmacists have not traditionally been trained explicitly to understand and address social determinants of health or understand systemic racism as a root cause. So we need to educate ourselves about health disparities and social determinants of health, and not just those affecting black Americans, but those affecting all underrepresented minorities. Then we need to take what we know and apply it to healthcare and the care that we give to our patients. As eloquently stated by Dr. Vibhuti Arya and her colleagues in a recent commentary, Pharmacists took an oath to protect the welfare of humanity and protect our patients. As such, to practice truly patient-centered care, pharmacists must recognize racism as a root cause of social determinants of health and use their privilege to educate themselves and their colleagues around dismantling structural racism. We must apply what we learn to patient care in order to eliminate barriers uh, to appropriate pharmacotherapy and other aspects of care. We must also identify our unconscious biases and work consciously and deliberately to reduce their impact on our patients, our colleagues, and others uh, that we encounter in the course of our work. And finally, we must advocate for policies and practices that address health disparities and promote equity. To close, I want to draw uh, on the American Heart Association call to action. Um, and if you've not read it, um, I would encourage you to read this paper. It's cited at the bottom of the slide. Um, 
That statement says that we should all be compelled to meaningfully address structural racism in a bold, comprehensive, and thoughtful fashion. And the ASHP task force recommendations provide a model of anti-racist actions that you and your organizations can use to develop your own plans of action to address structural racism and its impact on your learners and on your patients, as well as your colleagues. I encourage you to be the change that you wish to see. Lastly, drawing again from the AHA call to action, I would encourage you to work to advance the science to understand structural racism and its effects on health, as well as how to eliminate its adverse consequences and how to offer concrete science-informed solutions and actionable steps and programs to improve the health and well-being of our patients and to achieve equitable health for all. Thanks so much for listening into today's episode. For more resources on incorporating diversity, equity, and inclusion into your practice, visit ashb.org backslash DEI. Be sure to follow us at ASHB Official wherever you listen to podcasts and check back soon to hear more featurettes from the 2021 Major Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Vicki Vasilika from ASHB Official and thanks for listening in. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.